This is KGN News Morning Magazine. It's Tuesday, March 7th of 2023. I'm your host, Alyssa Palazzo. Coming up on today's program, a pandemic program that increased food aid to SNAP recipients has expired, and food banks across Colorado are bracing for an increase in demand. Then, after 20 years of talks, countries have agreed to a historic treaty to protect the high seas. That story and more on This Week in Water. And we'll hear from listeners who called into our comment line. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then, it's How on Earth. On this week's science show, Beth Bennett discusses stress, aging, and obesity with the author of The Stress Prescription, Seven Days to More Joy and Ease. At 9 a.m., tune in for another archival recording of British philosopher Alan Watts. Then at 9.30, Anne Cantalo will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead, but first, it's time for headlines with KGNU's John Kellen. A gun safety measure aimed at establishing a mandatory three-day waiting period for the purchase of a firearm has cleared a state House committee. The House State, Civic, Military, and Veterans Affairs Committee passed House Bill 23-1219 yesterday by a 7-4 vote. Boulder Representative Julie Amable said waiting periods save lives because they give others a chance to intervene in cases where people are considering using a gun for self-harm or against others. Under current law, gun buyers must undergo a background check, but those often take fewer than three days. State regulators have given Excel Energy 45 days to file fees and timelines for connecting its solar power customers to the electric grid. Citing an unprecedented number of complaints about Excel Energy's inaction, the Colorado Public Utilities Commission ordered Excel to file fees and timelines or be prepared to refund customers if deadlines aren't met. That order comes more than a year after the commission approved rules that require utilities to submit the fees. Property owners and solar power installers say they've waited for months to get applications approved and that Excel has not been responsive to complaints. One regulator told the Denver Post that oversight of Excel needs to be improved. Vice President Kamala Harris made her first visit to Colorado in two years yesterday and, as KGNU's Steve Miller reports, spent much of her visit discussing climate change. Vice President Kamala Harris spoke at the Arvada Center for the Arts and Humanities yesterday, where she highlighted recently enacted policies by the Biden administration, including the $1 trillion infrastructure bill passed by Congress in 2021. The Colorado Sun reports that Vice President Harris also brought up increasing water storage and the potential for the U.S. to step further into electric school bus manufacturing. Harris said the administration is working with new satellite technology that maps water around the globe, showing trends and where water is being lost. She said she would like to see that information distributed to farmers so they can make decisions about when and what kind of crops to use. Governor Jared Polis also spoke yesterday, adding that having the vice president here in Colorado made sense to discuss the environment, climate, and sustainability. He said in Colorado, like other parts of the West, extreme drought threatens agriculture, and the recreation industry. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller. A Colorado man will be sentenced this June for his role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection in Washington, D.C. 26-year-old Robert Geiswine pleaded guilty yesterday to two federal charges of assaulting or interfering with a federal officer. In exchange for his pleas, prosecutors will drop nine other counts against him. 
Each of the counts he pleaded guilty to carry penalties of up to eight years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Guy Swine of Woodland Park was among thousands of rioters who stormed the U.S. Capitol building. The Denver Post reports that Guy Swine appears in a video wearing military garb and spraying a police officer as the officer attempted to keep the crowd at bay. The January 6th insurrection was an attempt to stop the certification of the 2020 presidential election won by Joe Biden. Meanwhile, another man is facing 10 days in jail and eight years of probation for threats made against the office of Colorado Representative Joe Neguse. 47-year-old Travis David Chardwar pleaded guilty to retaliation against an elected official, harassment, and theft. He spent six months in jail before the case was resolved and was sentenced on Friday. According to the Daily Camera, he made hundreds of threatening calls to Neguse's Boulder office last May and similar calls to his Washington, D.C. office. The camera reports that police have copies of voicemails in which Chardwar says, quote, I want you all dead. The district attorney's office says Chardwar may still be imprisoned if he fails to comply with conditions attached to his probation. The city of Denver's support for safe outdoor spaces will continue through at least 2024. KGNU's Jake Crowley has this report. Denver City Council approved a contract amendment yesterday with Colorado Village Collaborative to continue to support operations at three temporary managed campsites for people experiencing homelessness. The approved amendment will provide more than $7.5 million to Colorado Village Collaborative. Most of the budget comes from federal funds available through the American Rescue Plan Act. Safe Outdoor Spaces, or SOS, initiative is an alternative to conjugate shelters. Currently, there are eight SOS locations across Denver. According to Denver's Department of Housing Stability, safe outdoor spaces have provided shelter for over 490 unhoused people in the city. Each gets their own tent, cot, sleeping bag, and storage unit, as well as access to bathrooms, food, and other services. Denver Mayor Michael B. Hancock said that SOS sites are working and that Colorado Village Collaborative has proven its shelter alternative is effective. For KGNU, I'm Jay Crowley. Driver's license offices in Colorado are expected to resume normal operations today after outages forced them all to close for much of yesterday. By late afternoon Monday, the DMV website said that all state driver's license offices were operating normally again. The department said they'll be reaching out to those who had appointments scheduled for yesterday to reschedule or offer alternative services. Authorities have not yet stated the cause of a grass fire that burned two acres in East Boulder County yesterday. Emergency crews from several districts responded to the fire, described as slow-moving with flames about a foot high. It burned near 95th Street and Blue Heron Way. Mountain View Fire Rescue said they had it extinguished by mid-afternoon, though crews remained on the scene to make sure it was completely out. The Daily Camera reported that in addition to Mountain View Fire Rescue, emergency crews from Lafayette, Louisville, and Boulder Rural Fire Rescue responded to the call. In today's weather outlook, it's a little drizzly out now, but that should taper off by late morning. We're expecting mostly cloudy skies. Not too windy with a high temperature in Boulder of 38 degrees. In Denver, a high of 42. Fort Collins expect a high of 39 degrees. And in Netherland, temperatures should reach a high of 37. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Alyssa Palazzo. 
Since the pandemic began in 2020, food stamp recipients in Colorado have received an additional emergency allotment on top of their regular grocery benefit. This month, that extra benefit came to an end, and food banks across Colorado are bracing for an increase in demand. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KOTO's Gavin McGough has this report on recent change and how the Telluride area is choosing to respond. The easing, and perhaps even the ending, of the pandemic has been a welcome development. But the transition comes with some difficulties, as COVID-related government programs are ending. One of those supports expired at the end of February, when emergency SNAP benefits, or food stamps, reverted to pre-pandemic levels. Speaking at the end of last month, Director of Social Services for San Miguel County, Carol Friedrich, explains food stamp recipients started receiving extra funds when the pandemic set in. So all of the folks that were receiving SNAP um, at the time were receiving two payments each month. So their regular allotment and then uh, emergency assistance allotment. So this month, February 2023, is um, the final month of that emergency allotment. So next month, um, there's going to be reduction to how much they're receiving. It's going to go back to their, um, their, their base allotment. While other states have already ended the extra emergency allotments, they remained in place in Colorado in 35 other states. Now, with the beginning of March, they have come to an end everywhere. Friedrich says the reductions are substantial. So the average reduction in benefits is about $95 per person within the household. That's average. So, for instance, a family of four that had received, you know, that was receiving that max allotment, their monthly benefit is going to decrease nearly $400 per month. That reduction is even more severe for senior residents who will see a more than $250 decrease in their monthly food stamp funding. We are most concerned about um, the impact that this is going to have on our seniors. Um, So they were receiving $281 per month under max allotment. And so once that ends, they're going to go down to their base allotment, which is $23 per month. For these, like, single seniors, um, they are going to have a significant impact. So, as again, they're going to go from $281 per month down to $23 a month. Weathering the end of the emergency allotment may be difficult for many of San Miguel's 200 SNAP recipients. The reduction comes amidst high levels of inflation. Food costs increased on average 10% between January 2022 and January 2023. Meanwhile, the number of county residents receiving SNAP has increased by 80 individuals over pre-pandemic numbers, suggesting an increase in food insecurity in San Miguel County. Friedrich says the county is working to provide a one-time grocery card to residents using SNAP, but she says it won't be a cure-all. So we know that this is not a long-term solution. Right now, the there are conversations happening at the state level to try and come up with a more... Um, systemic approach to meeting the needs of these folks. But for now, what um, we are working on is a way to offer folks that are experiencing a hardship due to this um, decrease, especially that senior population, like a one-time grocery card to make up some of the difference 
in a, in a very short-term period of time. Area food banks are bracing for the transition. Speaking at the Angel Baskets Food Pantry in Telluride, volunteer Barb Gross says they at the food bank are expecting to see an increase in demand, especially from older residents. Our senior population, is numbers are going to go up because they really haven't used us since they've got this, the um, supplement. Um, we're planning to do an outreach to them, um, and we'll see how that goes. I mean, I'm guessing they needed it before, they're going to need it again. With the emergency allotment in place, most seniors had enough money to cover the entirety of their food costs. With the end of those extra funds, that will no longer be the case for many. Overall, however, Gross speculates that other food pantries in the state are likely to see more of an impact. In Telluride, food insecurity is often tied to the seasonal economy. It tends to affect a younger, more transient population that is less likely to use food stamps in the first place, says Gross. I mean, I think it's going to be a shock to, to some people because, you know, we've kind of known this was coming, but I don't think it's going to impact us all that much besides the seniors. Because here's what we are. We're very, very tied to the ski area as far as when that stops, jobs in town dry up and we get really busy. If they, if there's no snow and they can't employ people, we get really busy. You know what I mean? Like Norwood, yeah. their folks don't they're going to probably be more impacted than we are. Food pantries across the region pool resources. Angel Baskets has a location in Norwood as well. They accept donations in money, food, and volunteer time from all those who can give. Looking at the food pantry's north-facing stoop, Gross adds anyone who'd like to come chip ice and shovel snow for a spell would be most welcome. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. Judy's House, which has been offering grief counseling since 2002, is expanding its work with children in school districts, churches, and other community centers. One in 14 Colorado youths will experience the death of a parent or sibling by the time they reach 18. For the Colorado News Connection, Eric Galadis has more. A groundbreaking bereavement service is expanding efforts to reach kids where they are in schools, churches, and other community sites. Emily Napier with Judy's House, which has been providing comprehensive grief care for over two decades, says one in 14 Colorado youths will experience the death of a mom, dad, sister, or brother by age 18. She says while the experience of grief is unique for each child, everyone needs to be able to talk about how they're feeling without being judged. Grief is a universal experience. Grief is normal, healthy reaction to a loss. So it makes sense to feel sadness or feel anger or even worry or confusion. All of those different emotions are normal and expected and okay. In addition to providing grief counseling in-house and in middle schools, Judy's House was able to tap pandemic funding to offer services at elementary schools. One curriculum serves third through fifth grade students, and Judy's Rainbow was created to provide therapy tailored to the needs of kindergarten through second grade students. Napier says much of the 
work is about breaking through social stigma associated with death, assuring kids that dead and dying are not bad words. Middle school age kids process their grief through journaling, expressing thoughts and feelings verbally, and learning coping skills. But Napier says what works for kindergarten age children who grieve just as much as older kids and adults is much different. How do kids at this level really understand and take in the world? And a lot of that is through creative expression. It's through reading children's books that have grief and loss themes in them and kids being able to see themselves in those characters and feel less alone. Founded in 2002 by Brian and Brooke Greasy, Judy's House was named after the former Denver Bronco quarterback's mother who died when he was 12. Napier says bereavement services, which are provided at no cost to families, give kids and adults a variety of tools they can pull from their coping toolbox. So things like getting it out, coping activities that involve a physical release. So maybe that's being active in sports, punching a pillow, moving your body. Sometimes grief can feel really overwhelming in our bodies, and so being able to get it out is a way to cope. This is Eric Galatis reporting for the Colorado News Connection. Time now for This Week in Water with Jamie Sudler and Franny Halprin. High hopes for the high seas. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halprin, and it's This Week in Water. The member states of the UN have reached an agreement to protect the high seas from climate change, overfishing, seabed mining, and other dangers that threaten marine life. The world's ocean covers nearly three quarters of the planet, but there's never been an international treaty to protect its biodiversity. Negotiations have been going on for nearly 20 years to accomplish an understanding to set up marine protected areas, or MPAs. This weekend's agreement will provide a legal mechanism to protect wildlife and share resources from the high seas, areas that are more than 200 miles from a country's coast. The high seas have unique species that could contribute to human health. In addition, billions of people rely on the ocean for food and jobs. The treaty would move toward accomplishing the 30 by 30 pledge to protect one-third of the seas and land by 2030, made at the UN Biodiversity Conference late last year. Before it becomes effective, countries will have to adopt the treaty and then ratify it, which in the U.S. would require Senate approval. And speaking of oceans, after large rainstorms, runoff from the land that contains contaminants from cars, farms, and sewage is one of the largest sources of coastal pollution. Sometimes beaches are closed because of E. coli or other bacteria from waste in the water, but now there are concerns that pollutants can get airborne in sea spray and reach people a mile or two inland, far beyond the surfers, swimmers, and beachgoers. A first-of-its-kind study from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography shows that viruses, compounds, and bacteria transfer into the atmosphere. As a wave breaks, about one-fifth of the bacteria in it bubbles up and then launches into the air. The team conducted their study at Imperial Beach in Southern California near the Mexican border and were able to link samples to bacteria and compounds from the polluted Tijuana River that flows into the sea. The beach in that area was closed a record number of days last year because of sewage. The researchers determined that three-quarters of the bacteria in the air came from sewage in the surf zone. However, they currently don't know whether the aerosols can make people sick. Most bacteria and viruses are harmless, but more research is needed. Still, the authors say their findings are further support for prioritizing the cleanup of coastal waters. 
Spring is right around the corner and soon we can look forward to some of our favorite seasonal fruits and vegetables like juicy strawberries. But a new study says buyer beware. Looks can be deceiving. That package of plump red strawberries might end up tasting bland and watery. And the reason could be pesticides. We sense a fruit's flavor by its taste and aroma. Sweetness results from the amount of dissolved glucose or fructose, and smell comes from volatile compounds such as esters or terpenes. But new research found pesticides can disrupt the processes in strawberries that produce these important compounds as well as the fruit's nutrients, including vitamin C, folic acid, and antioxidants. A team led by China Agricultural University grew three groups of strawberries and treated two of them with common fungicides used on berries. Although the fruit looked the same at maturity, they found chemical changes in the groups exposed to pesticides. The strawberries had fewer sugars, which notably turned into acids, making the berries less sweet. They also found lower amounts of vitamin C, and the number of volatile compounds changed, subduing the strawberry's aroma. A blind taste test was the ultimate proof. People consistently preferred the untreated group of strawberries when given the choice, which it turns out were the healthier option, too. And finally, many insects pee. Just like us, what goes in must come out. And for a bug called the glassy-winged sharpshooter that lives off only water from plant stems, it means hitting the loo a lot. But with such few calories, how do sharpshooters muster the strength to pee? That's what Dr. Saad Bamla of Georgia Tech wondered when he saw the insects, which are a type of leafhopper, doing their business in his backyard. After filming sharpshooters under a microscope using high-speed video, Bamla observed the bugs weren't streaming urine like we would. Rather, they were conserving energy by ejecting water droplets one at a time using a catapult-like appendage on their butts to launch the waste away from their bodies. And the droplets were propelled with amazing velocity. In a remarkable discovery, Bamla saw that the catapult first squished the water droplet to make it spring from the insect's bottom at a speed 40 times faster than a sprinting cheetah. It's a feat of physics known as super propulsion, where an object moves faster than the thing launching it, and sharpshooters are the first organisms observed to deploy it. Baumler says the discovery has potential for bio-inspired solutions such as removing moisture from wearables like smartwatches or preventing droplets from fogging up glasses. That's it for this week in water. Support comes from G.C. Green, a veteran, woman, and Native American-owned clean energy and resiliency solutions company. Learn more at gcgreen.com. We now go to our comment line to hear what's on the minds of listeners. Hi, I've been, I'm a listener member, and I've been listening to a program being aired um, on Wednesday morning, a futuristic program about the the elimination of um, of the African American peoples from from the world, um, or all dark skinned peoples from people from the United States. Anyway, I don't know. I I uh, I'm not sure what the exact pre- premise of the program is. Um, but as you can tell by my tone of voice, it's really, really very extremely difficult to listen to, and I've decided to stop listening. Um, I'm calling because I don't know if I, 
if it was even appropriate for KGNU to air this at all. Um, I think that that would be something worth people discussing. But in any event, regardless of the answer to that question, I'm very clear that it should not have been aired without a trigger warning. And when I called the online studio to complain about it, it uh, it should not have been piping in the very program I was trying to escape from. So, boy, I am really disturbed that this was presented without any prior discussion of what it was or why the radio station was thinking this was a good idea to air. So, um, yeah, I I hope next time you think a little bit more carefully about something like this. Um, I know we're in a dire time, and it's good for people to think about where it could lead, but something as graphic as this is, is just really disturbing to just run across on the airwaves. Thank you. Hey, yo, I was just uh, trying to comment on the music playing right now. Seems like this uh, this guy's playing some kind of old reggae reggae folk, all, all women. I thought it'd be cool to, you know, commemorate some uh, Sister Nancy. So, yeah, that's my, that's my comment. If you'd like to leave a comment about something you heard on KGNU, you can leave us a voicemail at 303-447-9911. Please keep the comments brief and related to something KGNU has broadcast. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Alyssa Palazzo. Shannon Young has been our producer. Thanks to John Kellen, Steve Miller, Jake Crowley, Alexis Kenyon, Gavin McGough, Jamie Sudler, and Franny Halprin for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for How on Earth. That's all ahead after these headlines from the BBC.